Welcome to The Dark Academicals, the podcast where we delve into the mythos of dark academia one book at a time. I'm Sophie Waters. And I'm Sarah Purnell. Before we launch into the novels themselves, we're going to ask, what is dark academia? How do we define a dark academia book, while also considering broader categories and books we consider dark academia adjacent? We're also going to look at the seminal texts, and these are the books that started it all, plus the classic and ancient texts that help inform the genre. We'll also recognise the criticism surrounding dark academia. And finally, we'll discuss our aims and goals with the Dark Academicals podcast. It's really difficult to pin down a definition of dark academia as a literary genre, I think, because recently it's kind of become a bit of more of an aesthetic than a literary genre. Yeah, I don't think, I think at the minute... Um, it's not particularly recognised um, anywhere, really, other than people who know of the aesthetic or have read and liked that kind of book, and then they found that it kind of falls into this category of dark academia. Yeah, absolutely. It's almost like a subculture in that way, like which I think actually fits with with the origins and with the vibes of dark academia, because it has influences... From the fifties, it has influences from Shakespeare and from ancient times. It's it's kind of a cumulative genre that's yeah. dumped everything together. But trusty old Wikipedia states dark academia as a social media aesthetic and subculture concerned with higher education, writing poetry, the arts, and classic Greek and Gothic architecture. The subculture is associated with ancient art and classic literature. And I find it really interesting that that definition puts social media at the front of that definition rather than literature, which was my introduction to it. And I think yours as well. Yeah, I think I only kind of became more aware of it as an aesthetic on social media because I was already interested in it from reading books like The Secret History. Definitely. And I think over the course of the last couple of years and throughout the pandemic, it's taken on its own life on social media in a way that it wasn't present before than other in those pockets of literature. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I don't think it's a coincidence that it took off during lockdown specifically. Like I think it found a good home in younger audiences from people who were facing long periods of isolation, their education was disrupted, and this hyper-focus, almost like aggressive focus on online learning and everything's online and it's all technology focus. It's almost like a rebellion to be more interested in something that's often considered a dead subject or a dead language. Yeah, and I think also the, the consistent and the endless devaluing of arts by our government, by people who are in charge of university courses and people who are in charge of giving people these jobs and funding this sector. Like young people are living in the height of their passion projects being undervalued and cut continually. To say it's something that's just been brewing for a long, long time because even when I was at school and doing A-levels and stuff, like they, my school my sixth form um, and my secondary school moved from being, um, I can't remember what it was, but it turned into a technology college. And so then 
when I was picking my A-levels, there was a big emphasis on taking uh, a route that would lead you in a science or a technology subjects rather than opting for the arts or some, or you know English literature or a language. Yeah, my sixth form was the same. It was um, sports and science, but it also had a really strong academic background and I could never understand how those two meshed in one place. Yeah. So I think like part of my choice of a university, which was, you know, famous for its creative writing programs, particularly its creative writing for young people program. It was such a a nourishing environment for the arts. And I, <laughs> I almost think it kind of shaped a, a bad example of how the world feels about literature. Because once you leave university, the rest of the world isn't <laughs> like that. <laughs> no. And I think like dark academia kind of gives that space to kind of call back to the power of language and art and creation in a way that our society doesn't respect or allow in that space unless you are of a certain demographic. Yeah. I mean, we're going to look at a timeline for dark academia. So we've got the release of The Secret History in 1992. And I haven't looked at the numbers, but I feel like that if you compared that against like declining funding in arts, it would just marry. I think it would match up. Yeah, I agree. And obviously, Secret History is set in America in the 80s. Donna Tartt herself was reflecting on her time at a small elite humanities university, Mm. but they don't really exist in that way anymore, especially in the UK. No, and I think as well, the 90s was the beginning of the internet. It was the beginning of um, online cultures, which have, for the most part, not been particularly kind (laughs) to subjects like English literature or studying classics or any kind of creative. If it's not digital, then it's not worthy. And I think that's probably one of the reasons why millennials have that attachment to dark academia because it's it's a nostalgic and romantic view of a time when there was value in it and there was funding and gen z kind of almost are taking on that nostalgia for a time they never knew yeah because they want it to be like that and hopefully like the power of that will evoke some change when you know when these kids are old enough to vote when they're old enough to have that social say in how their society and education is run i mean on the flip side uh social media um for dark academia tiktok has been pivotal i think for its explosion i think tiktok helped by pinterest and instagram but um, I don't. It's just a strange. It's a strange combination of media for it to for something like again, like even if it was, even if it was, even if we're not talking about the secret history, but we're looking at an older text or you know something like Sophocles. But it can somehow find a home of people on an app that got popular for doing dances. Like, it's just a very strange uh, coming together. But I I also think that in the TikTok space, it's not so much about the books, it's about the aesthetic. It's about the moody, dark browns and the blazers 
and the high neck tops i don't know what they're called and the um you know the skull on the desk yeah i mean and it's 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 that more than the books so you get people talking about books like the secret history but you don't get a, a depth yeah to i think those explorations it's i think that's the difference you've got the on on the one side you've got people who are who are enamored with the aesthetic and then you've got people who are enamored with the books and you can be both of course but i think there's an a preconception that you can't be one without the other so you yeah, if you're absolutely. interested in dark academia then you obviously must dress in a muted color palette that you know you'd rather be living in a musty library and curled up in a old leather chair in a corner somewhere being a bit morose and having an existential crisis <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah i think it kind of it plays into that aspirational personality rather than something that i read in dark academia is the power of education and learning and the joy and the freedom and the possibilities in that yeah. the promise of change and of new futures and ideas and experiences and i think that sometimes gets lost in translation in the new media approach to it yeah i, I think agree. because that that's where it sits for me and it's also a kind of a development from the campus novel which was popular in the 50s um and and since then as well so stoner by john williams prep by curtis sittenfeld which is one of my favorite novels and some people even class normal people by sally rooney mm. as a campus novel which i think is really interesting because it, it doesn't fit my idea of a campus novel but I can also see it yeah there is something really alluring about that about the campus novel but also about just generally being at university or being at college um because it is that pivotal moment as you as an adult coming into your own and discovering on your own what you like and your people I think I think what's what I like about dark academia is it feels like regardless of how horrible the characters might turn out to be it still feels like you've kind of found your people these are people that that champion learning and liking these things that aren't encouraged yeah but there's also um an elitism in that yeah for sure that's definitely it's very one of the criticisms (laughs) yeah it's it's very I mean even in in the media aspect it's very white thin middle class cis women usually or girls that's the kind of that's what you'd get from the genre if you only knew it from the media side and if you knew it from the literary side it would be all of those things but men (laughs) and rich (laughs) yeah so it's very kind of there's a la- real lack of racial diversity mm. and um, homosexuality and gender diversity is suppressed and it's never celebrated not from fetishized actually yeah and that's something we're definitely going to end up talking about a lot yeah with the secret history um and some of the other titles we've got um coming up it's this traditional set of privileged attributes in an elitist and expensive situation and it kind of says that actually if this is if you like literature and classics this is the only option for you like if you don't go to 
um, Oxbridge or an Ivy League school, are you really interested in in classics? Do you really like Shakespeare that much? Because that's what's expected of that type yeah. of interest. That's where that's supposed to go. Yeah. And I think as well, like, in, in the novels, like, students that have scholarships or are working alongside their education to pay for this, to be part of this club, they're, it's almost scorned because they're working for this opportunity that's been handed to these other characters because they feel they are entitled to it and it's often pushed to the side and or they actively try and hide it like Richard Papen in Secret History. Yeah. He doesn't tell anyone. Everyone assumes he's rich. Doesn't he say he's like from oil money or something? Yeah. And it's it's that kind of assumed prejudice almost against someone without money because lots of these very conservative ideas of people at these elite universities are like, well, if you don't have the money to be here, should you be here? And usually... And there's this, there's a quote from A Secret History, which for me, I think, encapsulates dark academia and the valid criticisms of it as well. It's, it is better to know one book intimately than a hundred superficially. That kind of encapsulates the elitism and the pursuit of intense knowledge of one subject. It's it's a narrow, a narrow world and a hyper focus on one area of study or an author or a novel that all of the characters in the story revolve around to the exclusion of everything and everyone else. And that also projects onto the type of characters and people that are allowed that hyper focus because they don't have to worry about being employable. They don't have to worry about having something concrete to fall back on after they leave this bubble. And it's that putting something on a pedestal and revering it to beyond its worth and to the detriment of everything else. So I think that that very short sentence in the secret history (laughs) kind of covers everything about dark academia. And all of those criticisms are what make it interesting and worth talking about. Yeah, I agree. There are certain elements that I think you can pick out of a dark academia title that makes makes kind of it more easy to spot one. Like I know usually when you pick up a dark academia title, you just know. But then when you're trying to explain to someone what it is about that book that makes it dark academia, I think I've got a few bullet points of like elements that I think are important and they don't have you don't have to have all of these elements but I think that they need at least maybe three or four for it to kind of ring true as dark academia and the first one literary signposts yeah kind of things yeah I think the first one is definitely a higher education setting I think the setting on campus um is usually very elite or exclusive in some way um I don't know can you have dark academia without it being set at least partly on campus to me that wouldn't be dark academia I don't think and those settings are often quite isolated as well which I think compounds the the atmosphere doesn't it I think also uh I've put old gothic architecture 
not necessarily it doesn't have to be old and gothic but the again i think that adds to the mood of the book and it kind of uh imposes on the characters too the i really enjoy it when it when a setting kind of becomes a character in itself yeah, um, and it, it almost has a weight in on the characters doesn't it like the history and the the kind of level of acclaim of this institution that kind of it physically hangs over the characters doesn't it yeah um also a preoccupation with classical studies so latin greek classic literature philosophy i think you probably can have a dark academia book without the characters but usually they've got one kind of obsession whether it even be for music or for art there is some kind of creative or classic subject or author or individual obsession i think yeah there's that focus that is like the heart of their academic life isn't there yeah this one's really simple murder (laughs) (laughs) there's always a murder there's always there's almost always there's been a murder that was my terrible target impression (laughs) um (laughs) But yeah, I I think again you can have dark academia without there being a murder or a death or some kind of tragedy. But I think that kind of uh, event happening uh, can either compound or create this existential crisis that they then have to pick through in their current selves, like about their present life through the death, usually of someone else. <laughs> Yeah, usually being the cause of said death. Yeah. <laughs> Spoilers. As we said, they're not they're not great pe- people. <laughs> I put a dark, moody, and or haunting vibe, but I think a lot of that is created by the other elements. But I think there's usually something in the writing, isn't there, that's quite not necessarily solemn or morose or I don't know. There's a there's a vibe. <laughs> Yeah, it's almost like a a lyricism to it in that in that way of old gothic texts, isn't there? Yeah, definitely. Like when you read a, a classic gothic novel, you only need to read a few paragraphs to know that you are reading a gothic novel. <laughs> That's true. And I think it's it's the same with dark academia for me. Um, I put hero worship of a particular figure or author, like I mentioned with the preoccupation with classical studies, but. I think this is more specific in that it could be I mean for in the secret history they're obsessed with like this bacchanal this Dionysian um right right <laughs> ritual um yeah. but it's usually someone like Shakespeare or know, Plato or someone like that that they've kind yeah. of got this particular figure that they're almost obsessed with in a scary way Mm. um and then i've put old money which will collide with new money or no money i mean whether it's blatant and in your face or it's just the fact that you've got someone who usually it's someone who has come from not a lot coming up against people that have kind of had everything handed to them on a silver platter um and the juxtaposition of that And one of my favourite things is weather as a literary device. Like, I love it when there's weather. (laughs) 
<laughs> you just like weather. <laughs> I love the weather. No, but it could be. It, I think it immediately changes a scene or a mood, or it can change like a character's direction or what happens. And I, I just enjoy the weather. <laughs> yeah, fair. Pathetic fallacy. Anyone yes. who's done GCSE English <laughs> in the UK, that is embedded in your brain. Yeah. <laughs> And then underdeveloped social skills or the protagonist is portrayed as an outsider. So usually our protagonist is a little bit awkward. They don't quite fit in for one reason or another. Usually that's because they don't have any money. Um, and they're just, they are that, I mean, they could be you. I mean, that, I think that's what I always think when I'm reading it. The protagonist could be you. Like it could be me. I'm not saying I'd want yeah. it to be, but it could be. <laughs> <laughs> I think that kind of allows for you to project yourself onto that character, doesn't it? And that I wonder if that's why these novels are so all-encompassing. Yeah. Because there is room for you to put yourself into this story, isn't there? Yeah. Or these stories. I think as someone that really... I mean, by the time I got to university, I was glad of the decisions that I made. But there is always a part of me that kind of wishes that I could have gone to Oxford and studied something really pretentious you know like there is that little part of me that wishes that that could have been me and I suppose I can relive that through dark academia (laughs) it's because it's sold to you as the ultimate isn't it yeah there is no bigger or finer achievement than that even if actually that environment sounds horrifically toxic yeah and I probably would have hated it (laughs) or as I loved university same but if I was somewhere else can't say I would have done because you never know do you no that's true (laughs) I think that leads us on nicely to discussing a few of the seminal texts of dark academia and these are going to be featured throughout the podcast um so we are just touching on them for now first in all discussions of dark academia is the secret history by Donna Tartt it is the OG dark academia novel and it was published in 1992, so it's 30 years old this year, like me. Wow. Scary, scary stuff. <laughs> it's just, so it's, it's the one. Like, it, it's everything. It, if I ever, it's, it's, the, it's the benchmark, isn't it, of Dark it Academia? Is. And I think that's what Dark Academia novels are compared to. That's what they're set against. And you're kind of like, your signposts of Dark Academia, they're all in there. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's a long book, so there's room, <laughs> but they are all in there. So it's even got my weather. Quick overview. <laughs> it has also got the weather, and the weather is actually a powerful part of that story, and it drives it along quite a lot, which is something we may talk about in the coming weeks. So, Secret History is set in the 1980s, and Richard Papen from California, he weasels himself into Hampton College a very elite university in New England where he kind of falls in with a very exclusive group of students who are all under the influence of a very strange but charismatic classics professor as they kind of kind of go on to push the boundaries of uh, morality, <laughs> really. And um, kind of it changes all of their lives forever this one class at university that is going to be our first book which we will be discussing in two weeks and 
we've both read it before and we're both very excited to revisit these these psychos <laughs> i mean that classics professor needs to be put in prison for one. Oh god yeah it's a miracle how he remained teaching to be honest but more on that in a couple of weeks i think then there's the other book that i think uh people always point to is if we were villains by ml rio yes yeah definitely um and that was published in 2017 So that is a huge gap between those two novels, and yet they are both seen as the benchmark. This one is, again, set at an elite um, college, but focusing on a Shakespeare drama programme. And you find out at the very beginning that Oliver Marks, who is our main character, has just served 10 years in prison for the murder of one of his closest friends. A murder that he may or may not have committed. And the book is going back, yep, all very dramatic. And the book goes back to this young actor studying Shakespeare who gets very caught up in a uh, interesting set of circumstances and we find out what really happened. And it's fantastic. And it is eerily similar to The Secret History in a lot of ways, but it's also very different. So it's a really interesting comparison to The Secret History. And again, that will be... our second or third yeah for the podcast well i'm probably gonna butcher his name because so my english lecturer at university swore down that this was how you pronounced aishalis's name however i have since looked it up on the internet and we all know how reliable the internet is but the internet tells me that it's aishalis not Aeschylus. So either way, <laughs> he was a Greek dude and he is known as the father of Greek tragedy. So he, I think it's one of the, he's got some of the, like, the oldest surviving like Greek tragedy plays. Figuring features such as Agamemnon and Clytemnestra and all those kind of good Greek myths. <laughs> Um, and then there's also Sophocles, who could have been Aeschylus's contemporary. They're not entirely sure, but it was either written during, um, they're like at the same time or slightly after. So, but yeah, so there's figures like Agamemnon and Ajax and Achilles. And I think those figures probably resonate quite well even today especially with blokes for obvious reasons like there is a toxic (laughs) masculinity element to a lot of greek mythology and i'm not entirely sure why people still want to pursue that as something for their own personality you know i think yeah there are like a lot of plays you can um interpret them in different ways but I think what happens in within dark academia especially is that the characters seem to interpret things in ways that are quite destructive. So, you know, they take on like the, the, the more negative aspects of a character rather than exploring it with an open mind. <laughs> Does that make <laughs> yeah, sense? Yeah, they also take permission from those texts, don't yes. they? Like, well, yes. if they did it 2,000 years ago, it's totally fine. <laughs> You're like, even if it's a myth, no, it's totally fine. It's all good. <laughs> um, and then, uh, of course, we've got Mr. William Shakespeare. Um, or Billy Shakes. Oh, Billy Shakes. Calls him. <laughs> <laughs> and I think 
particularly plays like Hamlet or Othello, Titus Andronicus, I think those are the ones that would resonate more strongly in a dark academia setting than some others. Although, what's that book that's coming out? Just more <laughs> like... specific than that. <laughs> There's, there is a title that's coming out. I'm sure it's this year, isn't it? Where she is a... Teacher. doing something all's well is that what it's called does oh, that sound Mona familiar Award. yeah Mona Award. yeah is that based on all's well that ends well yes college theatre director called Miranda Fitch she is determined to put on Shakespeare's all's well that ends well and she faces a, mul- a mutinous cast hellbent on staging Macbeth instead. And then three strange benefactors who have a strange knowledge of Miranda's past and a tantalising promise for her future help her to put the play on to the detriment mm. to everyone who is involved in the production. I doubt there'll be murder, though. doesn't sound like there'll Ooh, be you murder. Never <laughs> you never know. You never know. Bunny was pretty weird. <laughs> So, who knows? Mm. But yeah, William Shakespeare obviously um, turns up time and time again, more often than like the ancient Greek tragedians. And for good reason, because those plays, you could read them every which way and upside down and you would still find a different meaning with them within them. Yeah, there's a lot to draw from and a lot to interpret. And I think part of that is the language as well, isn't it? Yeah. Which helps. And lots of kind of dark academia characters take on that language as almost a personality trait. Yeah. (laughs) That comes up a lot in um, If We Were Villains. So I think uh, titles like All's Well, not necessarily dark academia, but what we might consider dark academia adjacent. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. which maybe we should try and explain what we mean by dark academia adjacent. <laughs> yeah, definitely, because that is going to um, be a part of the podcast in the future. Yeah, so I think there are some books that are, are they have either informed dark academia in some way or had an influence on it, and you or I don't know, I find it, it's almost like a feeling for it me is, personally. Yeah. You just... A book feels like it should be dark academia, however it's not. It's almost like they have another genre classification that's stronger. Yeah. So it falls under that instead, but it definitely has dark academia um, elements, like Piranesi by Suzanne Clarke. Yes. That is a magical realism novel, but it is also very much dark academia. And that is going to be one of the books that we explore as a dark academia-adjacent novel. And we're also going to look at um, light academia. Novels like The Great Gatsby, which I I suppose on paper doesn't make sense as a dark academia novel. But if you've ever read The Great Gatsby, it's got the right mood. It's got the right tone. There are a lot of similar um, concerns and issues, um, like with the protagonist and how he's portrayed. And yeah, definitely. And same with like the picture of Dorian Gray. Yeah, and um, Brideshead Revisited by Evelyn War and Maurice by Ian Forster. So these are all texts that we are going to examine under the dark academia lens and see how they fit and how they don't fit into the genre and how they kind of, I guess, accompany 
traditional dark academia texts just to try and expand dark academia as a literary genre rather than just leaving it in its pigeonhole of an aesthetic. I think that will lead us nicely on to talking more about the criticisms of dark academia. So what are some of the main criticisms of dark academia? I think the biggest clangor is the lack of racial diversity. Absolutely, yeah. It, I mean, when we were doing our research and the planning for the podcast, we obviously wanted to make sure that our reading list was as diverse as possible. I mean, obviously, because reading should be diverse, but also we, so we were representing the genre as a whole. But we struggled to find any non-white written or led dark academia. The only one that I personally came across in my research was Ace of Spades, which is actually going to be um, a book in the first season of um, The Dark Academic Horse, so keep an eye out for that one. But beyond that, I struggle to find anything. And I do wonder if that's because of the way that the social media aesthetic and the, the history of Dark Academia is so exclusionary in that way. Yeah, it's a very white space. And it's still, uh, I mean, it's set in very kind of elitist and expensive educational settings, which are still, I mean, it's still, it's something that really winds me up that it's still something that is just mainly only accessible if you're white. Yeah. And that's kind of has rundown of institutional racism in the UK, doesn't it really? It's... Yeah, that's a, it's a difficult one to grapple with, but one that we are going to kind of talk through and tackle with the books as we go through, because it's, it's a big and an important topic that we will, and we will definitely continue to keep looking. Yeah, um, and if anybody has books. any suggestions or recommendations that we can check out, then they will be gladly received. And I think that kind of leads on nicely to the exclusion exclusionary nature of um dark academia when it comes to um sexuality yeah because there is a there is definitely a bias towards straight cis men and women as the main characters and the main focus of these novels yeah gender diversity is like non-existent yeah absolutely which Although it's not acceptable or right, you would expect from the older texts, but yeah. continually surprises me with the more modern modern texts. Yeah, same. And again, and I think that has the same similar connotations. To, is that it's accessibility? Yeah. And that kind of exclusionary space. Mm, I think homosexuality or uh, questions about sexuality are featured usually as uh that it's not featured in a way that's particularly celebrated or that would normalize just the way that someone presents themselves it's it's a mystery it's a yeah. plot twist <laughs> that's it's what i'm trying to get it's, it's used <laughs> it's used as a plot twist and that's not right <laughs> no and even when it is present it's not an obvious open sense of sexuality it's uh oh they could be are they oh yeah and it's very fetishized Fetishized. in that way that's definitely 
the case in the secret history. Yeah. And we will definitely be looking into that because that is a whole minefield in that book. Um, but even in If We Were Villains too, and that's a modern novel. That yeah. was written in 2017. So I think that has a, a heavier weight to carry with that because of the time that that was written in. And that, that kind of theme runs through a lot of the the modern dark academia novels. There is also a gender issue in terms of the people that are at the forefront of these novels are usually men. Yes, it is a male-dominated perspective. (laughs) But interestingly, most dark academia novels are written by women. And yet still the character focus is on men. Is that a reflection of... Again, it's a poor reflection on uh, these institutions that still... It's almost acceptable if you're male to go and study Latin. But if you're female, what are you doing? (laughs) Yeah. I guess it's the legacy of those those people and those uh, areas of study that are idolised. Yeah. Because as we've said, all of the Greeks, we only have surviving stuff from men. Presumably because the women weren't allowed to write. Yeah, essentially. Or weren't allowed to share um, share their creativity in that way. And Shakespeare, very male-dominated. <sighs> yeah. And he was a man. <laughs> you know, so I do wonder if it's, it's that reflection of the source material think of any examples of um non kind of straight cis characters in in shakespeare at all unless you're well if you're watching romeo and juliet by baz lerman yeah that's oh god i love that movie i I feel like i can trace my queer awakening to that to that movie (laughs) to that film yeah I think that's probably the case with a lot of people. <laughs> like, oh, this is how it is. Okay. Seminal movie, that one. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and I, f- I find that kind of, that refusal to branch into those more open liberal spaces with the exploration of sex and sexuality and gender and race. Like, in an environment where these characters are pursuing knowledge and learning and growth they don't want to be pushed outside of their their little zone of Mm. learning you know there's no there's no space i mean it's very tory it is it it 100 percent is yeah and that kind of (laughs) once you say that you're like well it all makes sense now (laughs) what else do you have to say (laughs) there's it's conservative ideals while preaching liberalism because they are in their little bubble where the people around them are the exact same as them and are compounding those views basically in those in these dark academia worlds and settings anything goes as long as you're all rich and straight and privileged and white and you all agree to cover for each other because someone's got money to throw at it yeah there's, there's no room for mistakes outside of those remits. There's no... There's a status quo, in the words of High School Musical. 
<laughs> you must stick to the status quo. <laughs> or you will be punished and ostracised <laughs> yeah. by your peers. And hopefully as we dig further into dark academia, we will hopefully see that being broken down a little bit with the more modern texts. I hope try so. to kind of balance it. We've got the classics... We've got classic classics and the newer novels that we're very much hoping are going to push those boundaries of what a dark academia novel is. So I suppose we should probably actually tell you a little bit about <laughs> about the dark academicals and how this whole show is going to go. We are going to be releasing a podcast episode every two weeks and there will be six titles in each season. We will have a short little break to recover. <laughs> then we will be back with another six titles, every other, uh, one title every other week. And that is how we will continue. And we can reveal our first six titles, Ooh. if Sarah would like to do the honours. So, we have, of course, The Secret History. And then we have If We Were Villains, uh, Ace of Spades, Madam, The Great Gatsby, and Catherine House. So, six novels where you've got the obvious Dark Academia, you've got the less obvious Dark Academia, and then you've got The Great Gatsby where I can fool you all going, huh? <laughs> and that fits into our Dark Academia, Jason. I think we're going to we're gonna have one, one of those books in each kind of season of the podcast. <laughs> books that make you go, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> So that is how it's going to run. In each episode, what we're going to try and achieve is to explore how the text matches up with our definition of dark academia and how it also matches external ideas of what dark academia is, how it differs um, from both of those things. Obviously, our general thoughts, observations, likes, dislikes, all of those fun bits that bookworms like to talk about. We will have a little bit of an academic section. We'll analyse elements, whether that's themes, literary devices, settings, quotes, really dig into the text as far as we can. Use our university brains (laughs) that have been put away for a while. And then we're also going to do a character close-up where we pick on a character not necessarily the protagonist but a character among the ensemble and kind of explore them more thoroughly as a character and their relation to dark academia and we'll be doing that for every text in the podcast episodes yes we will so that's what you can expect from us in the upcoming episodes our first episode based on a novel will be a secret history by donna tart which will be on your listening devices in two weeks time and we hope you'll come back for more thanks for listening bye